Peace, y'all. This is Jay, a.k.a. the Hip Hop Taliban, and host of the Get Off My Lawn podcast, and here to let you know that we've done it again. Uh, this episode clocked in at about mm, two hours and 45 minutes. We had a lot to talk about, a lot to say, as always. So, once again, this episode will be getting split in two, and here is part one, part two, should be uploaded at the same time, so you can roll right on in to part two after you finish this one. Peace. The following program contains strong language and is intended only for mature audiences. One two one two one two one two, ladies and gentlemen, be boys, be girls, be men, be women. The Get Off My Lawn podcast is back and full effect. Our second quarantine COVID nineteen edition. This is your boy Jay, aka JC, aka Jay Caesar, aka Law T, aka the Hip Hop Taliban, and I'm here. Of course, couldn't do it. Couldn't do it right. Without my two, my mellows, my mans. A.B., the professor, where you at? Checking in for the people. Dr. Belk, a.k.a. the People's Prof, a.k.a. A.B.J.R.Ph.D. on the bird and on the gram. And it's recently dubbed by the homie Dwayne Murray after he saw some of the workout regimen, the large professor. Oh, okay, okay. Scared of you. Yeah, I'm over here hitting the general Iro workouts from when he was in lockdown on Avatar. I don't know what that means, but okay. And <laughs> up in the dirty jersey, still storming. Black Cloud, where you at? What up? What up? What up? What up? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? This, beat, this beat got me ready to like do a freestyle or something. This is, this is it right here. <laughs> What's up, man? It's Andre Cole at Andre Cole on Twitter, Instagram. And uh, up here in the what they call what, the epicenter. Yeah, 
Yeah. You're a little too close for comfort, man. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm telling I'm, you, the. I'm sitting in it. Although we're not doing, we're not doing so hot out here in Cali either. Um, matter of fact, sitting here last night and we had a uh, had a 4.0 earthquake, and so I was sitting here, and it felt like somebody ran a truck into my building, and I'm thinking that's all we need. That's all we need. We got the mayor having press conferences talking about he has panic attacks. I'm like, dog, keep that to yourself. I don't want to hear that from my elected officials. You're supposed to exude calm and confidence. Don't get up here talking about you've got panic attacks. I That's mean, too much transparency for you. It's too much. It's too much of something. Um, I need you to be the rock in this turbulent times. I need you to be confident that you're going to guide us through this. And he's sitting up here talking. I got panic attacks. What? Huh? Uh-huh. No. <laughs> Even if you do, somebody said, oh, well, that makes it more relatable to that. I don't want relatable. I need a leader, a Kaiser, a czar. I need somebody to take charge of this motherfucker. In the words of... Uh, so you want Trump? No. In the words of James Carville, we're dying down here. What? <laughs> nah. What, what? Which what? <laughs> what? James Car- So... When- the Raging Cajun. When, uh, oh, okay. Oh, that's, oh, yeah, back when CNN, we had that CNN political analyst, former campaign yeah. director for Bill Clinton, yeah, and yeah. back when they had the uh, the BP, the oil spill, he was on TV because at the time, you know, everything is the worst thing that ever happened in America, but that was pretty bad, it was bad. So he was on TV and essentially saying that they needed more resources and whatever. He was on Meet the Press. And then his last statement was, Obama's got to get somebody on this. We're dying down here. <laughs> so anytime <laughs> there's some exaggeration needed, I'm telling the mayor of Los Angeles, Eric Garcia, we're dying down here. I don't need to hear about your panic attacks, dog. Come on, man. Hey, he's being relatable, man. I- I'm, with, I'm with the lost professor, man. He's being relatable. He's being relatable, but he's not instilling the confidence that we're going to need to forge ahead. Um, that's not the kind of confidence I'm going to need to make me feel confident that you're going to start laying the smack down on these fools who think it's a party and I can still go out to the beach and kick it. Um, yeah, 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 I know I live in South Carolina, right? Ooh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, that's SC about to open back up. SC like, yeah, um, we're about to have the beaches open up and do this and do that. And I'm just looking like, yeah, no. You know, so it sounds like James was somebody on the order of uh, Andrew Cuomo or Larry Hogan in Maryland. I'm, I'm more along the lines of I'm not entirely opposed to a Duterte who was like, if you come outside, I'm going to bust a cap in your ass. People yeah, there was a meme learn. going around of Larry Hogan looking like um, Omar in the Wire. Talk yeah. about Hogan coming, y'all. Because <laughs> they had a hard curfew. He wasn't playing around, man. Nah. I just saw it. He went to uh, he's one South of those, Korea. He's one of those state leaders that has approached this as a public health issue rather than a partisan or political issue. Because it's really a public health crisis. And now's right. not the time for, you know, the sort of foolishness that we've seen from some people in the federal government and some other governors across the states. 
the lieutenant governor of Texas, Dan Patrick, said the other day that there are some things that are more important than living. And he was making the argument that some people might be willing to sacrifice themselves for freedom. And I'm like, dog, really? And so I said on April 13th that this crisis is revealing people's arrogance because they think that coronavirus will come for someone else, but that it won't come for them. And they are quite comfortable with other people dying in service to them. Right. So if you look at these so-called demonstrations across the states, people are out here like I want a haircut. I want to be able to go to my favorite restaurant. I want to be able to have this people serve me or those people serve me. They're not even talking about going back themselves. They want other people to go to work to provide them with goods and services. Right. And this is insane. And they're like, yeah, we're like Rosa Parks out here. And I'm like, dog, really? Right. So these people are losing their minds over one month of being told to stay at home. When World War II jumped off, my grandfather got drafted, went to Fort Jackson, and then went to Japan. When Vietnam was popping off, my father got drafted, went to Fort Jackson, then went to Vietnam. They're asking us to stay home to ensure the public health, and we can't do that. Yeah. I haven't been outside in so long. Well, once every three weeks, I go out to the grocery store and um, I damn near forgotten how to drive my car. I must backed into a pole. Damn. (laughs) I was was like, huh, this is. And that's something for an L.A. resident. Yeah, Yeah, man. Bro. (laughs) They're talking about traffic accidents went down like 70%. Of course they did. Yeah. Car insurance companies are giving money back or they're being. They're not giving money back. They're just not charging as much. So, you know. Good. Yeah. Hey. Gas about to be free. I'm getting four weeks to the gallon right now. Right? (laughs) I need to get a barrel. (laughs) Store up for later. Well. These are pre-Katrina prices. Yeah. I wouldn't even know. Every once in a while, somebody sends me a uh, a picture of a... a gas pump and somebody sent me one not too long ago i got the most recent one i got gas was like 257 a gallon and in la i haven't seen a two on a gas pump in a cool 10 years yeah wow that's what i'm saying these are these are some like pre-katrina prices down here man it's about 156 per gallon damn now, have you guys? Like uh, by me. What's that? It's like one eighty-five by me. Okay. Um, which is which is which is pretty pretty low. I just remember going every time I go to Cali, I always, you know, you know, you try to fill up the gas tank before you take the rental back. And right. Every time I'm just like, shit. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that hurt. Yeah. It's like you need a micro loan <laughs> fill up the tank in Cali. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, uh, there's been a whole lot of activity since everybody's been stuck in the house. Um, entertainment has kind of shifted. A lot of streaming going on. Um, and a lot of activity on Instagram, boy. And we touched on it when we did the last episode before. We were a few days ahead of the DJ Premier and RZA uh, producer battle. And... We all sort of unanimously predicted uh, Premier 
to destroy the RZA. And what were your impressions, Dre? Um, it was closer than I expected, but also I did say that it depended on whether or not Premier played the joints that he needed to play. And Premier kind of played a couple of joints, a couple of songs that I was like, why are you playing that? Like, there's songs that I like, but the MOP song that he played, I wouldn't have played that song. Like, there's songs that, there's song, there are better songs. He produced better songs than some songs he played. But I thought overall, I mean, I, I had Premier still winning, but like, I think two. And then if you go to the extended after the 20, I think I still had him up by like one or two as well. It wasn't like a beat. I expected a beat down, but RZA was smart in his selection overall, except for playing um, Maria, which I understand why he played that. I wouldn't have played that song. He, no. he might as well play beef. <laughs> now, I think you pointed it out, or somebody did, uh, about flags getting thrown on oh, Brooklyn yes. Zoo. Yes. So, yeah. So, there's, there, I mean, and a couple of these battles have had those, and that was a big, that was a gigantic flag. Because he didn't produce Brooklyn Zoo. True Master produced that song. True Master and ODB produced that song. Like, I don't and know the commenters were all over it immediately. Yeah, I don't know if he mixed it or what, but he didn't produce that song. So it was like, as soon as he played, I was like, wait, I think I mentioned it here. Like, he didn't produce that song. Like, yeah, there's a couple did. of songs that are well known Wu Tang songs that RZA didn't produce. And so. That was a flat. Like, you can't... So, of course, immediately, whatever he played against that song, like, you don't get that point. Yeah. But in general, so... So you say you thought it was closer than you expected, but you still gave Premier the victory. I still gave Premier the victory. Um, But it was way... It was way closer. And it was also because Premier didn't... Premier left a bunch of stuff, like, in the back room. Like, I don't know what some of the songs... Like, he left a... He left a common song out. Like he, there were songs that he could have just kind of rolled through on, and he just didn't play them. Which and, common? You know, sometimes it's like the beat. I don't know if it's the producer head, a producer mind state of I really like this song, or I really like the way this came together. Maybe he knows the he sees it as the work, but yeah. they're like joints that you know. That which he didn't play. which common song? Oh, what was it called? Oh, I was listening to it the other day. Hold on one second. Well, you you looked that up, and then uh, yeah, I'm gonna look it up. Hold on one second. So, Dolphus, what what was your take on the on the battle, Primo and Riza? When we were talking about this before the battle, we noted that Premier could win without going into his gangstar bag. He could win just sticking to his gangstar bag, right? I think when though it seemed like the Rizzer gave more forethought into what he would play and when he would play it right so he came out the gate with liquid swords followed it up with bring the pain and then you had the drop off with maria but he comes back with wu gambinos right so he stuck to like a lot of the golden era wu stuff and i was real confused when of all the MOP tracks Premier could have dropped, he drops Breaking the Rules. And I'm like, yo, um, 
so it seemed like he didn't come out with some of his best stuff and it kind of took a while for him to warm up whereas the rizzo was coming out hard man the rizzo came out swinging he was giving you classic wu-tang stuff um and it was some real bangers on that too right um so i think that all in all if we were doing like CompuBox, yeah the rizzo didn't get mopped like the rizzo really held his own and I still think this whole conversation is crazy because the Riz is one of the greatest to ever do it and expectations were low because he was going against someone like DJ Premier, which is insane given the catalog that Riz has been able to develop. Indeed. Hmm. You got the song? That com- that, yeah, that comedy song was a six cent. Mm-hmm. The Sixth Sense, it was on that Green Away album. Like Water for Chocolate. Like yeah. Water for Chocolate. Which which might be Common's best album ever. Better than Resurrection? Oh, yeah. Hmm. Oh, yeah, you I said, think, you I said that definitively. Wow. Oh, yeah. yeah. Woo, the battle log is going to be something to behold. <laughs> Can't it wait. Is. And that like will Water be... Like Water for Chocolate was a complete album, especially after he had kind of taking a step back for a minute mm. okay well um the battle log will be coming up that might in fact be the next uh episode that we do presuming that everybody's been getting busy listening to these catalogs uh because it's the first round is boogie down productions versus epmd versus gangstar so that's uh, at least a dozen albums to listen to. So uh, there's that. Now, Primo versus RZA. Here's the thing. Um, yeah, Premier Premier won. I guess it was closer than whatever. RZA pulled out some songs that I hadn't thought about, but. He hit us with all the ones we knew he was going to come with. the uh, That Mary J. Blige, Method Man joint, the remix. Um, Unbelievable you know. remix. Yeah. However, um, and I saw it got, it got a lot of love, a lot of views. Um, people were doing artwork based on it. People were talking about it. Saw little articles. All thumbs up, likes, all kinds of things. Um... But I guess we have to overlook the technical issues that plagued the entire thing. Now, based on what they we look saw, light compared to what I, came next. Exactly. But at the time, it just it it bothered me to no end that you had two um, music industry legends, professionals. Uh, and the sound quality was just terrible, terrible. RZA was, I guess, in a living room, and perhaps he was just playing it through the speakers that were in the room or something, so there was an echo, and then he tried to plug in an iRig, and then there was a delay, but they were working this all out in real time. And Premiere, I don't, he was in a, like a sound booth or a studio 
and his sound was terrible and I just don't understand. This is not the first go-round. This is at least the third or fourth one of these uh, producer battles and the people behind it are also music industry veterans. It's like Swizz Beats and Timberland. Is that, are those the two who are behind it? Yep. Okay. Yes. So, the, between the four of them, Premier, RZA, Swizz Beats, and Timberland, their entire professional lives revolve around sound. And for it to be this bad, this poor, it sounds like this was the first time they were trying it out. And that's totally unacceptable. They could have created some uh, dummy IG accounts just to practice, make sure everybody had the right hookup, make sure uh, they worked out the kinks ahead of time. I mean, damn, just in doing this podcast, there's little technical things because every time we start it, it's, it's like a new thing. I have to reset everything. But even with that, before we did it the last time, I spent about two hours online practicing, working out kinks with my son just to make sure that we didn't lose an episode, that we had good quality audio, that when we came around, when it came time to do it, then uh, things would be at a level that was acceptable and hopefully a little bit beyond acceptable. The point being that I'm just some I'm just some guy. This isn't my job. This isn't my life. This isn't my uh, professional calling. This isn't what I'm known for. So if I can take two hours to try and figure out and work out the kinks and practice, there's no excuse for Premier, RZA, Timbaland, and Swizz Beats between the four of them to have audio that terrible, to have sound issues that were that awful and that to me uh lessened the experience dre tells me well you know the songs anyway so shut the fuck up and listen and i was like damn dre is it dre is it dre um and so i tried i tried to take that approach but it it just it just grated on me and so with him being a film guy, the analogy I used was this. It's like if Spike Lee and Ava DuVernay were doing a film clip battle, but the picture was blurry. It's just one of those things that it, it shouldn't happen. Practice. Come on. Come on, guys. You wouldn't do a show without a sound check. So what are you doing? We're talking about practice. Practice. Bare minimums. Come on. Come on. I'm telling you, if Beyonce was going to do something like this, no way it would be whack. She wouldn't be getting on there. If some, if she had one of these and experienced these kind of problems, best believe somebody's getting fired. They might be getting fired in real time. They might even get killed. No you way. know what, though? I've wondered about this the whole time. Like, would, would she do something like this? And I thought to myself, given the, given the, the nature of the platform... And the the fact that you can't really control everything, and she's real meticulous with her live shows, I don't know if she would do it, because you don't want to run the risk of something not being perfect, and she strikes me very much as being a perfectionist. 
I think she would. Yeah, I um, go ahead. No, no, I, no, go, go ahead. I think if she were doing it, she would get engineers from Instagram to come in and build some uh, couture system. It would be like Instagram Beyonce version. She wouldn't. Uh, again, the fact is. I be. Yeah. Had they practiced, had they had a test go through something, then perhaps they could have fixed some of the issues. And I get Instagram Live, you know, there are going to be some issues. And when you start talking about numbers of hundreds of thousands of people logging in, okay, I understand that there might be some uh, problems that you run into. But the problems they were running into seemed all self-inflicted because... As they were getting messages from different people, then they would try different things, and then Riz's setup improved. So he got notes or texts or calls or advice from someone, and his improved. So if you can improve on the fly like that, it tells me you could have improved had you just tested it out. And I just can't find any acceptable excuse for why something that was promoted way in advance, they didn't have a run through and work this out. So I think with go ahead. I think with the Instagram, um, one of the things I think Instagram Live itself is the unknown variable. So you get into that point where you don't know how the compression is going to work. They have issues with compression. They have issues with the amount of people in the room. That that affects their server. That affects how their sound goes out. That affects how their audio goes. How their uh, video goes out. It's really weird. And so even when you're testing it it seems that it can work fine for now but you don't know what's going to happen when a hundred thousand more people come into the room and that's on the instagram side so i agree like they definitely should do like you said they should have like some test lives some test they should they should be able to do some testings but what it seems like um some of the stuff that they had you know tested out already was like the irig thing so when in the beginning Riz had, had his eye rig in and the premiere told him, don't use that. They told me it creates a delay. So he knew that already. Mm-hmm. So and so Riz wanted to use it anyway, and then we saw it with the delay that it happened. It's just a weird system, especially with the whole thing of compression, live streaming through your live streaming through your phone or your iPad or whatever they were using. And so I agree. I wish that the audio sounded better. But also, in the case of this, it's like, we know what the songs are. As long as we can hear them, <laughs> then cool. And then sometimes, I mean, because I don't think the audio has been pristine through any of these battles. It's all It all sounds like the same kind of level, whether high or low. I think the best audio I've heard so far is probably Babyface's audio in these battles. Yeah, but see, the thing is that RZA fixed his problem. That's what gets me, is he fixed it. It took a little while, but he, he fixed it and made it, made it better. So, if you can fix it, you should have fixed it beforehand. You just didn't, I don't know. And also, I blame Timberland and Swiss Beats. At this point, they should be saying, okay, uh, we're going to have this battle. Here's what you need. And they should be sending out specifics like, if you're using an iPhone, then you need 
X, Y, and Z. There shouldn't be wild variations. There shouldn't be left, like everybody who's participated in these battles has plenty of money. I agree with that now. You, you need to have a protocol where given the way you're connecting to the battle, so if you use your laptop, here's what you need. If you use your phone, here's what you need. And then maybe, you know, an hour beforehand, you do a test run. Yeah. And it's that simple, right? Like we're not we're not looking for studio quality sound. We're not looking for live show quality sound. We're all stuck on quarantine or stay at home. We just want entertainment and this has emerged as a really dope way to give people something to help get them through this misery right because when i think about how life has changed since all of this happened um some of my students are really struggling some of my my family members and friends and their family members are really struggling people are dealing with loss and sickness and unemployment and insecurity like a lot of this has been really bad then you know club quarantine started popping off and we started getting these battles it gave people something to look forward to something fun and even the failures have been funny because you know people show up and start roasting people and then that becomes entertainment right so at this point yeah there should be a real basic protocol about how to run it that shouldn't be a problem right now yeah so that was rizza and premiere and as ab mentioned um their problems and their issues <laughs> pale in comparison to what we just saw uh, this past weekend and uh, and then yep, yep. Monday when Babyface and Teddy Riley uh, did battle. And I forgot all about it on Saturday night when it was originally supposed to go down. And I just logged into Instagram and just started seeing all kinds of memes and jokes and people snapping left and right. And I was like, what happened? So for for either of you who were there for that first one, uh, somebody who was there, tell me what happened. Well, my wife was really looking forward to it, right? Um, she wasn't one of these people that went out and and like got an outfit and all these other things but like people were really gassed about this and they were treating it like they were going out to you know the best venue in your city for a concert like this and they were going to have an intimate evening with teddy riley and babyface right and then almost immediately people were laughing at the contrast it's basically face in a room ready to go and Teddy Riley up here with like 17 people or something like that. And then stuff started working and the roasting just took off, man. Like it was it was bad. It was really, really, really bad. But she stayed. She came for the show. She stayed for the jokes. Wow. So for those of us who didn't see it, what what exactly happened? And like, what was the first sign of trouble? Were they into it and everything was working and then it stopped? Or what exactly How'd it go down? The first the first sign of trouble was I logged into the Instagram live and I see Teddy Riley with a keyboard, some kind of screen behind him, a DJ, some dude on the right side, and somebody else walking back and forth behind him. 
I immediately <laughs> knew something was wrong. I was like, yo, he has an entire Essence Fest setup behind him right now. What is going on? So, because at this point, everybody has been just them sitting in their computer or their studio or their turntable or what have you. And I, I just knew something was going wrong. So, of course, I stayed to see what was happening with Babyface. Are you getting a, a echo from me, a reverb? No, you're good. Okay. Um, so, so I just stayed to see what Babyface looked like. And then when Babyface popped up on the screen, and it was just him looking like he was broadcasting from like his guest bedroom. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, this is this is going to be interesting." And I knew immediately that Teddy's Riley's sound was going to be horrible. I could just tell because you're doing too much. Like your phone can't handle that. And so, and immediately that's what happened. Super echo. It sounded like. He was. I, I posted. He let sound. Like he was broadcasting through your your grandmama's favorite pair of holes. Like it was just <laughs> terrible. Like he was broadcasting through a toilet tube holder. Like it was just. <laughs> and, and, and we and we knew. Like we and we knew. And everybody kept saying like when Teddy started playing music, he was trying to test something. And everybody kept saying echo. It was an echo. And he Damn. just wasn't reading the comments. Now, I also heard that he was trying to like do some extra thing and like stream it on his website or something. Is that true? That's that's that was the problem. The problem was that he was trying to double it. So he was trying to stream it through his website. He had a full camera crew there. Um, I think he had like makeup and something, but he had like a full camera crew with lights and everything there. And they were trying to do, I think it was like a three camera setup. So when you're trying to double a live stream, the audio was just not going to happen. And and that's what it was. It was like he was getting the bounce back. So he kept trying to blame it on face, saying, oh, take your earbuds out. And, but it really was because of the of the duel. So if you have two streams going, somebody, it probably was honestly somebody else in the room had their phone on live or they had two phones doing the same broadcast and that's what was causing the reverb but it was just horrible oh like on uh on radio when they tell callers to turn your radio off in the background exactly okay so they never even got started i mean not really it it was jumpy from the beginning and then when they started right they they did three songs teddy started having some difficulty asked them to run it back and then they ran it back, dropped some more songs, and he ran into more technical difficulties. So it was it was wild, man. Um, it didn't go the way that we thought it would. And you could see the frustration in face building. Uh oh. Like he was getting annoyed and it was becoming harder and harder for him to conceal it. Damn. So then when did they, <clears throat> how did it come to an end? Because they decided to do it another day, but how did it come to an end? Who who brought that up? A guy walks into the onto the set, right? Well, they, they're trying to figure out, because after the, they played the same three songs twice and Teddy got smoked all three songs, <laughs> then people kept complaining about the echo. So uh, Teddy starts talking to a guy and then a guy steps up and Babyface is trying to get 
Teddy's attention. And some guy steps up and he's like, hey guys, we're gonna stop down for 30 minutes. You guys come back in 30 minutes. And Babyface kind of had this look on his face like, N-word please. <laughs> and, then, and then it went down and then you know they decided that they weren't gonna do it again. Oh, so they didn't announce. <clears throat> so neither of them, because I saw, I did see uh, Babyface or Teddy Riley. One of them put out a video like right around the time that they decided, like right after they shut down, they put out a video saying, oh, we had some technical problems and we're going to do it again. So, uh, that was and, sad. And I'll say Go this ahead. real quick. What was interesting about that night, though, is that again d nice comes to the rescue and he's the real mvp that night because he goes back on ig live and starts giving people the the battle they thought they were going to get that evening oh, okay nice <clears throat> d nice to the rescue nice nice pull right there uh so then we come back on what was it monday everything's blurring together let's say monday and they had the battle, and uh, we'll go back around the horn. So, Dre, what was your impression? Okay. Uh, I'll start, so, I'll I, well, my well, hang on, because I'm going to have to uh, cue this back in. So, see, that is karma. I was sitting here talking all that shit about RZA and Timbaland and Swizz Beats, and the audio gods came and struck me. Not down, but they did a Nancy Kerrigan and hit me in the back of the knee. Or I'm sorry, <laughs> Tanya Harding. Yeah. So we uh, got everything fired back up and we will resume. So, Dre, what were your impressions on the uh, baby face and uh, Teddy Riley battle? All right. In, in general, I, I went on the live. I wasn't intending to at all. I was like, you know what? I'm not dealing with these with this foolishness today. And then some said, well, let's see. So I go on, I see Teddy sitting at his computer in a room, seemingly seemingly by himself. Um, and so I was like, all right, let's see what happens. And then I wait a little while, and then Babyface comes in. He's seemingly in a room by himself. And so I'm like, well, he was in the room by himself. <laughs> and so, it, it, you know, so, the, so it, it went off. But, you know, it went off. It, the audio wasn't the greatest, but Babyface did have... Um, like I said, I think he had some of the best audio I've seen in these battles so far. And I don't, he, I know for a fact he wasn't doing anything special because he was like in a room with his computer or something. So, and a mic. So I'm assuming maybe he had the phone closer to the computer or something. Maybe that's what it was. Or it was close to the speaker. Mm. Um, or maybe he had somebody else test it out for him. Um, but in general, you know, it was a fun battle. They went back and forth. I don't know if you want to talk, you know, get into it in the nitty gritty. But to me, I just, I, I just, I just fanned out when, when, when Babyface pulled the guitar from behind them and started playing live. <laughs> right. He sounded like the C. He sounded like the CD through your phone. I was, I was, I was impressed. I yeah. Was like, I was grouping out. I was like, he pulled. I was like, what? He, and he just starts playing, and that's what I'm talking about when I was saying that. You never know with the Instagram live how the audio is going to sound, and then for him to sing a cappella, uh, acoustic with you know guitar, and sound incredible, great. I think, and he did a great job for me of changing the tone 
of the battle. So every time Teddy would go in, like play a jam, like a upbeat, upbeat joint, mm-hmm. then he would give you a story to slow it down, and then Rocky with a slow joint. I mean, you know, he's a legend for a reason, man. <clears throat> now I think part of that though is um, is whoever the I think whoever the host is has the audio advantage um, because. After it flamed out at the end, Teddy Riley went on live on his end, and I flipped over there, and his audio sounded spectacular. Um, so there yeah, might be something there. The host does have the audio advantage. But yeah. what was interesting is that Babyface's audio sounded great when Teddy was doing all that echoing nonsense. So it goes to show you that you just have to keep it really simple. Yeah. So some people have a game that plays well on the road. <laughs> right. So what was your impression, AB? Yeah, this is one of those where I had to get in after the fact, right? Because I was so put off by the first time, I didn't want to come back for it. <laughs> but, you know, my wife was helping me to get the highlights, and then I started checking some stuff out after. And I also think that you probably got a better performance from Teddy Riley during this battle than you would have initially because he felt embarrassed and had to come back right he looked like he fumbled the bag they had yep. five hundred thousand viewers and then they couldn't give people the show they thought they were going to get so he comes out like uh black cloud is saying and he was throwing out bops right like bops that have been timeless he came out with the swv remix to human nature but then face switches it up with tony braxton love should have brought you home last night then he comes with another bop um you know make it last forever face comes out as soon as i get home and i'm like yeah if you want to get into the crooning keith sweats like one of the greatest beggars on record right but he he's not gonna stand up to face round three and this was this was one that kind of threw me right round three teddy riley comes out with johnny kemp just got paid that is the permanent friday payday album right so he drops just got paid your man face came out with the whispers rock steady and i'm like yo he did that i was knocked off my feet with that one i did not know he did that song joe you you could have knocked me over with a feather man i'm like wait a minute that's in his catalog so so like teddy riley brings out some smoke right He, he seemed like he wanted all the smoke and face just kind of keeps coming back with things right and it wasn't just his stuff like we already know teddy riley super producer um i think a lot of people look at face and think of him as a solo artist but he's coming out with stuff from his own bag and then these other things that he's done and you know teddy riley tried to make it close but i think at the end the advantage went to face but there was certainly some surprises like um like in round seven, um, Teddy Riley goes in and drops Keep Sweats, I Want Her. And, you know, that that was a jam, right? Yeah. Your man face came back with Tevin Campbell, Can We Talk? Well, I and didn't, that record has stood up well over time. I didn't know that was him either. I didn't know Teddy Riley did the show. Mm-hmm. I guess that was common knowledge. I had, okay, I didn't know. Um... I think that you two are being kind because Babyface, (laughs) 
I mean, he put on a performance. Aside from the fact that I believe that his catalog, he just obliterated. They're not on the same level. Like, Babyface looked like he was upset and disgusted at the way things went before and the fact that he wasn't battling Quincy Jones. Because they're just not on the same level. And it's no real disrespect to Teddy Riley. They're just not. And, Man, and when Teddy Riley threw one of the remixes in there, he was like, oh, oh, we doing remixes? I didn't think remixes counted. I don't yo, do remixes. He said, yeah, I don't do remixes. Oh, he said, did you do that? You remixed that? And Teddy Riley was like, yeah. He's like, okay, I don't do remixes. Next, and then drop like another bomb. It, it just wasn't. It, it was humiliating. Like, I felt, it got to a point where I felt <laughs> bad for Teddy Riley. Like, You've been doing all this work for your entire life. You built, like, I remember the guy songs in high school and all that, and you, Tevin Campbell, and you did all this work. You've built up a stellar, superior career in the music industry. And in two evenings on Instagram, that's obliterated. The top line in your obituary is going to be Teddy Riley, music producer, who got destroyed and embarrassed an Instagram battle in 2020 against Babyface, blah, 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 blah. It's, it was bad. He looked bad. And it just, he just looked like he, he just wasn't on that level. It was like Ohio State playing uh, Virginia A&T. It just wasn't a fair fight. And Teddy Riley should have been battling somebody on his level. Maybe it should have been Teddy Riley and I don't know Timbaland, and Timbaland still probably would have smoked him, but it would have been a fair fight. Babyface is just—it's like of the no, people. It should have been like Babyface versus Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Yes, there you go. That would have been that would have been a, a you know yes. in terms of genre and style and vibe like that pair would have matched up a little bit more because um. I, ain't, I don't think nobody can come for Quincy Jones. I need to put no. some respect on that man name. Can't no, no, nobody no. come for Quincy Jones? No, no, no. They can't. But I'm just saying that this, you want to punch up and aspire. And that's what Teddy Riley was doing. Babyface yeah. was like just sitting there <laughs> drinking his wine. Teddy Riley walked out of the room to go ask somebody for some help. <laughs> Talking about cut me, Mick. Meanwhile, Babyface just pulls out the guitar and starts like, oh yeah, by the way, I did this Eric Clapton joint too. Bling-ling-ling. I was like, yeah. what? Like, Yeah, I group, I groupied out when he started playing that. When he pulled out the guitar again, I was like, oh, he's gonna, he's gonna play Change the World. He's gonna play Change the World. I started typing it in the comments, grouping it out, Change the World, Change the World, Change the World. <laughs> yeah, I was, yeah, because I knew what was gonna happen. Man. <clears throat> so, the producer battle, I don't know who's who's up next uh what they've got going it's interesting i just hope that uh they work out whatever the technical kinks are and come back and do it again um but i, I gotta i gotta i gotta throw a couple more um yellow cards at at, at produce as far as like we threw one at rizza for not producing brooklyn zoo i gotta yeah. throw one at teddy Riley because he did not produce foxy brown's get me home track masses produced that song and Blackstreet sang, I believe, the they Blackstreet sang on the song, mm-hmm. but that's not a producing credit. And that song was a heavy sample. What got to get you home tonight by Eugene Wilde. So 
not only is it not a song you produce, but it's also a, a song that was he, like basically a sample. It's not rapping over a sample, like a full on sample. And the same thing with City's wow. Mom by Jay Z. I mean, he produced City's Mom, but most yeah. of that was like the Jones girl. So it was like, it, <laughs> right. it was like you, you, can, you can't get credit for that. Like, it's like somebody rhyming over me DJing, like, you know, back and forth on some record. Like, you can't, you really wouldn't get credit for that. Yeah. Yeah, he just got, he's, yeah, he, he wasn't, he, that wasn't a level. It wasn't fair. And he got smashed. And that's what he will be remembered for, um, for, now, for quite on, some man. time. What? <laughs> I had to explain. He remembered for more than that. I don't think so. My son is <laughs> about to turn 19, and I had to explain to him who Teddy Riley was. And um, Babyface, he's kind of like, he knows the name and probably, he knows some of the songs. Because um, they're just classic joints. Classic joints. Yeah. Um, and it's like Teddy Riley. Oh, that old man who couldn't figure out the internet and then came back the next day and got obliterated. Him? Yeah, he's become a meme, <laughs> and it's like crying Jordan level. This is gonna last for a long time. It' gonna make it last forever. Cause he's wearing that crazy Suge Knight <laughs> Zorro nice outfit. I mean, it's like <laughs> the memes that I've seen out of this have been hilarious, man. I've been crying off of these memes, and they are going to endure. He will make it last forever. I'm telling you. <clears throat> somebody put one out that said, uh, it showed a picture of the two of them, and said, in tonight's episode of OGs versus the Internet, and then had their pictures. <laughs> Yo, Spice Adams was on it immediately and did like a whole recreation of Teddy's set and the problems he was having. And it was like up that night. Man, I'm telling you, this is what he's going to be remembered for. So, um, good luck to Teddy Riley. Uh, yep, but yep. In terms of entertaining things, something else did. Uh, busted not necessarily the internet but um brought people back to tv which was the first two parts of the chicago bulls documentary and uh before we went on uh the two of you were talking about that now i haven't seen the first two parts but um i lived through it and you can just sort of give me your impressions of it and then uh we'll sort of segue into that hip-hop uh angle that we were talking about before so um damn we're hitting everything uh r&b producer battles coronavirus politics we haven't even really gotten into the hip-hop yet but we will trust me you don't have anything to do you're on lockdown just sit back and listen so uh ab what were your impressions of the documentary just real fast so first two parts it's it was supposed to be released right after the nba finals right so we would get that basketball fix um right when we thought we were out of basketball they move it up because of coronavirus and you know networks need content right now because people aren't watching things and all the hype and it delivered right and i thought that part of what made it work is that they didn't approach the story chronologically like it's this is really about that final season of the Bulls dynasty 97 98 and they start with that season and all the drama 
and the first episode focuses on Jordan. So they give you a little bit of his backstory and his emergence and take you through like his rookie season and things of that sort. Second episode focuses a little bit more on Scottie Pippen and his background, right? But the way that they do the storytelling, um, the way they grab your attention is really masterfully done. And just when you thought that you knew a lot of the drama that was going on, they take you deeper and it's like, wow, man, this stuff was really hidden. But, you know, there are a lot of people like I was talking about crying Jordan earlier. Jordan played his last NBA game in 2003 for the Washington Wizards and then was unceremoniously dismissed from the team that he had an ownership stake in. Right. So for these people, you know, young adults right now and teenagers, man, they know Jordan more for being a meme than for being a ball player or they know the merchandise, but don't necessarily know the player. And what you get from this immediately is that everyone knew Jordan was the MFing man. And he was the man from day one in the NBA and even the people who were in their prime in the league at that time. Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Isaiah Thomas, all these guys were like, yeah, this dude is a problem. So for those people who never really knew or that look at the NBA through the eyes of, you know, LeBron James, Steph Curry, Kawhi Leonard and players like that. Nah, man, Jordan would eat everybody's lunch. Everybody period any any era any time blacktop space jam on the moon it doesn't matter he was that dude and the documentary shows you why and dre what what do you uh what was your take yeah i'm i'm i don't agree with some of the stuff the love professor just told to say but i think it's a well done documentary and I, I'm, I appreciate the fact that they, um, well, Michael Jordan signed off on them using, because, you know, the whole story is that they had, you know, all of this footage that the Chicago Bulls opposition had shot during their last run, during their season. They had some historians that were shot some footage, um, some filmmakers or whatever. And then, you know, but they needed everybody's permission in order to use the footage. And Michael Jordan was, of course, one of the people I understand that didn't sign off and he finally signed off um a few years ago and so the fact that you see some of this archival footage of you know them behind the scenes them in a locker room them practicing jordan you know and giving the guy a side eye when he asked for a sound guy asked for you know an autograph it's like these kind of moments that you see from these guys and you see like you know the inner turmoil the, the things that, you know, Jordan doesn't necessarily want you to see. Now, I'm hoping we see more of it, because there's a lot of stuff that I'm sure, um, a lot of truth that I'm sure Jordan kept out of the public eye that people kind of heard of in rumor. Um, but we see a lot of that. And I thought it was really good. And it also brings forth this idea. I don't know if they're really going to, I hope, I hope they touch on it. This idea that the NBA needed a face. The NBA needed a name. The NBA needed a presence. And that presence became Michael Jordan. He was a great basketball player, but that's what they needed at that time. And David Stern was very smart in taking this young guy and putting him in that position of being the face because he could play well and he was respected by, as a player, by the older basketball players like A.B. said, like, you know, Larry Birds and the Magic Johnson. They all... Thought, oh, this kid can play. 
Um, but I also think that we're seeing the marketing of Michael Jordan as well. And the mark, so in public eye, he was, I want to be like Mike. He's oh, great basketball player. But off the court, Mike wasn't a nice dude. He didn't do a lot right. of nice things. Right. And I think we're I think we're starting he didn't do he didn't stick up for people when he could have. He didn't stick up for us black people when he could have. And so we're gonna see some of that in this documentary as well. And I see I mean we're we yeah. starting to see kind of some of it. And I think that's I mean, I think that's the cool part about seeing this documentary is that you see you see both sides of him. And you see that, oh, he's the man on the court and he can play and he's doing all this stuff. But then you see kind of like, you know, him not being nice to his teammates or him, you know, kind of dissing this sound guy without saying anything. Well, like, you didn't have to do that. Like, there's those kind of moments that are really good to see because you see him as a person. And that's important. It's like, these people, like AB said, who only know him as merchandise, only know him as sneakers, only hear him as the greatest player of all time, but they also see him as a person. I think it's important, like, when some people don't, haven't seen we grew up watching Mike Tyson they don't know him as a person and I think we knowing Mike Tyson and we being around for a long time no no I'm saying Mike Tyson like Mike Tyson oh yeah 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 Tyson as a person and some people like my kids only know Mike Tyson as oh Mike Tyson used to knock people out that's all they know he was in a hangover (laughs) right he wasn't well they don't know that well my older daughter does but you know, so same thing with Michael Jordan. And so they you get this kind of other side of him. And I think that's what's cool about the last dance. And I'm they're going through it and they're gonna talk about Rodman, which was very key. And I always whenever anybody mm-hmm. always, always talks about the Bulls teams, I always say Rodman, also because I just like the Pistons. Rodman was very key in that team. Yes. Rodman had a crazy background. Yeah, like Rodman's background was absolutely nuts. Yeah, and so the fact that they're going to talk about him and you're going to see where he's come from and what he's done and what he did for that team is is really important. I think ESPN did a great job, and I wonder how much money they spent on licensing yeah. some of the stuff that they used. Yeah, it's it's like when I look at this, right? Um, if we look at Jordan, Jordan followed a model that was crafted by people like Dr. J and OJ Simpson and then Magic Johnson as far as the black pitch man goes. Be someone that people can love across racial and ethnic lines and don't be too controversial. It's something similar in politics called deracialization. That the way you can win votes and win elections is by retaining the support from black voters and people of color while also having some cross appeal to white voters. The way you do that is by deracializing. It's not to suggest that you become a sellout of some sorts, but that you become more relatable, right? So that was Dr. J. That was OJ Simpson. It was Magic Johnson and then Jordan took it to another level. So you avoid the political controversies and stances. You become more guarded. So he's that person, right? So there's that Michael Jordan. There's the Michael Jordan on the court who was the absolute monster. There's the Michael Jordan behind the scenes that we're starting to see more of. And then there's that Michael Jordan that we will never know the completely, totally private guarded person. And everybody deserves to have that. You know, Tevin Campbell recently said that on the bird. Everybody deserves a private life. Um, the, The things that were really revelatory 
because Dre was talking about people's backgrounds. You know, Mike's background, man, Mike came up in a family that, you know, his parents were doing okay. You know, his parents had good jobs. They were able to provide for their children. You look at some of the clothes they were wearing in their pictures and they were looking good, right? Scotty Pippen came from a town of 3,500 people in Arkansas, was one of 12 children. His father had a stroke in front of him when he was like 11 or 12 years old. And then one of his brothers had an accident at school where he essentially became uh, disabled, I think a paraplegic. So Pip had a hard background and some of that comes in too, right? And so you begin to understand some of the decisions that people made, some of the stances they took, um, some of the conflict by looking at where these men came from what they were going through and how it it really shaped them later in life um so it's been some good stuff on that front and then they got into a lot of the um the internal politics and dynamics between the team the coaches and bulls management especially with jerry Krause. uh he, he passed away in 2017 and i don't think they could have put this out when he was alive because they he was he was a at the center of the conflict is somebody who is viewed as breaking up the greatest team of all time or at least the greatest team of that era and there were there are eight more episodes yeah they've been releasing them in twos one hour installments they did two on sunday and i think they're going to do two more this weekend okay it was good stuff though man it was really good stuff and there was a clear hip-hop tie-in that had me kind of geeked uh you know Dre feels a little differently about it, but it had me kind of geeked. So go ahead and mention it, because that'll lead us right to where we're going. Well, yeah, the, the, they used um, wisely. And I'll say this, that, you know, the filmmaker and somebody does television, they used music of the time to tell some, to help tell some of these stories. So, you know, you have um, rookie Michael Jordan coming out and you know, they, they, they're playing Eric B. and Rakim, I ain't no joke, because of course that's around that same time. Music goes well with what they're showing. They, you know, kind of showing the impact that Michael Jordan had. And then they have this, um, they show the game, game two of the, the playoffs when Michael, when the Bulls play the Celtics and Jordan goes off for 63 points. And the whole sequence is set to LL Cool J, I'm bad. And it's like an incredible, incredibly rousing, if it was a movie, in the theaters, I'm sure people would have cheered. Like it was, it's really well sequenced. It's scored to I'm bad. So, you know, you're kind of getting these, you know, on the beat slams and all this stuff. It's really well edited, really well cut. Shout out to whoever edited the entire doc. But my issue is that since Michael Jordan wasn't a rap guy, it kind of, it goes well together. It looks great but it's not true to Michael Jordan. And that was the only, as I'm watching, I'm like, Michael Jordan actually said fuck rap before. Like he wasn't a rap guy. This is not his music. It's not for him. It's not like if you play, okay, you play some polka or something and it might go well for me, but that's not me. It doesn't go, you know, so the polka people might be like, oh, he killed it with the accordion. But that's not me. <laughs> Right, so so, but uh, it goes well in, in in time. It goes. I think Michael Jordan is a hip hop icon because during the hip hop during well in you know during the birth and the golden age of hip hop, this when Michael Jordan came up. He came up and he was winning, and this is what he was doing. And so that's why hip hop is already tied to it. The the sneakers, especially. I mean, I had Jordan ones when they were the Jordan ones. 
where they were the only Jordans, the Air Jordans with the Nike on the back. Ask about me. But <laughs> the same thing is just that it's, it also wasn't him. It didn't speak to him. He didn't, he wasn't, he was an R&B funk guy. I mean, you know, maybe you could play Flashlight. Maybe you could play Atomic Dog, you know? So if you really want to accomplish who Michael Jordan is, but at the time, and as a hip hop fan, I appreciated the hip hop. I just, it just, that, that was my only, only little quibble. And I'm sure me being, if I was in the edit, I probably would be like, I like it, but remember, we need to make sure that we understand. And somebody says that Michael Jordan wasn't hip hop. Mm. Yeah, Twitter provided the receipts on that. And there were some uh, segments from interviews where he did, where he really was like, somebody was like, yeah, I'm. You know, have you ever heard of Rakim? And he was like, no. And somebody was like, yeah, he's like the hip hop version of you. And he was just kind of like, nah. So I get it, right? But in terms of the hype, I remember NBA All Star Weekend when they dropped the trailer for Black Panther, and it was set to uh, run the jewels, step into the spotlight. And so Wakanda is this reclusive nation in the Marvel universe, and they use step into the spotlight. To sort of take us into Wakanda, where the rest of the world is in the 21st century, Wakanda's in like the 31st century, right? And at the end of that trailer, they show the um the the poster for the film, you know, and as the beat, as the bass is hitting, and there's a a line moving across, or like there's like you know, shining across the letters in the Black Panther font. And it's perfectly synced to the baseline in Run the Jewels. And I'm like, yo, this was art. Like, this wasn't just a movie trailer. This was art, right? That's the feeling I had watching that montage of his rookie year that they set to I Ain't No Joke. And then the, the playoff game at Boston, where he followed up his game one performance of 49 points with 63 in an overtime game that they only lost because Boston had the final possession. And he went off, like he snapped. This this is a team, right? Larry Bird said, listen, I'm I'm 6'9". We go across our front line. You know, Kevin McHale's almost seven feet. Um, Bill Walton's a seven footer. We got Dennis Johnson in the backcourt, who's a several time NBA defensive player of the year. We were a big, physical imposing team we were a deep team and there was no way one guy was going to come in and beat us and then jordan started working everybody over danny ainge was like i'm getting cursed out by bill walton because he had to guard jordan on a switch and he's like yo you got to keep this dude in front of you he started fouling everybody out right like this dude surgically went to work destroying a an all-caliber NBA team that had like four or five future Hall of Famers on the squad, and it's him playing with like Orlando Woolridge and Jim Paxson. So the highlight package, man, it's like one of the best two minutes in sports documentary history, and the music set the tone. So even though Jordan's not hip-hop, and I get it, right? You know, he, he wasn't hip-hop at that time music can set a mood and music can be associated with people in moments even when the people in those moments didn't embrace the genre um hip-hop campaigned for barack obama there was a barack obama mixtape in 2008 and barack obama is certainly more friendly to hip-hop 
uh, in that moment than Jordan was, but he himself would say, I'm more of a Stevie Wonder guy, right? So hip hop can embrace people in moments, even when people don't necessarily love hip hop back. And the way that they use those tracks in those moments, you know, it was pretty dope to me as a viewer. Um, it certainly had me uh, getting hype in the house. I mean, no, I haven't, I haven't seen it yet, but um, there's a certain thing like shame, I'm, shame, I, shame. I can just imagine a montage of dunks and all that, and I know I ain't no joke. And that song hits a certain way, and um, so yeah, I can understand uh, using that, even though he's not a quote unquote hip hop guy, and. It's interesting because I was like, well, what? <laughs> For me, it's hard to wrap my mind around. You don't listen to hip hop. What do you listen to? And uh, so for me, I listen to old school funk, soul, R&B and hip hop. And jazz, some jazz. Um, but that's about it. So, I've been criticized over the years. That's part of how the hip-hop Taliban thing came about. But I've been criticized for, oh, you're, you need to expand your, your, your musical library. And you need, to, you need to listen to other things and give this a chance and try this and try that. No. Hip-hop. That's what, that's what speaks directly to me and my experience. That's what I grew up on. That's what I have memories of. Um, and then the older music because that's what my parents played. That's what I'd hear when we'd go to family gatherings and what have you. So that's where I'm at. Whenever somebody's trying to tell me I need to listen to a different, another genre of music or what about this? What about that? Um, I'm like, listen, I'm not Barack Obama with a team of people to curate a playlist that I can release as my own that has selections from every genre of music across the billboard charts. Um, no. So what I do is I ask people like, okay, if I'm going to, if you want me to listen to, I don't know, the, whatever, the Beatles, tell me the album you want me to listen to that's going to be representative of this genre or this group at their best. And then if I'm into that, then maybe I can branch off and explore some other things. And, um, that doesn't typically happen, but, um, you know, it's a possibility. Uh, in the last podcast, uh, Belk mentioned that you went to an Elton John concert. And I was like, okay. I mean, I, I'm sure there's some songs that I would know just because I grew up in the 80s. And I'm sure there were things that were on commercials. But... If you told me to name an Elton John song off my head, I couldn't do it. Now, if you told me one, I'd be like, oh, yeah, 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 I know that. But would I pay good, hard-earned money to go see him? No. But if I said, hey, give me the Elton John album that best, that has this guy at his best, that's going to introduce me to whatever kind of music it is that I don't even know what genre it is. Pop? I don't know. Whatever it is. Give me that album, and then I'll listen to it, and then see where it goes. So, I start thinking that, in a hip-hop context, if it were reversed, and I ran into somebody, which I, it has happened, 
who has no interest, no real knowledge of hip-hop. They know uh, some of the big crossover songs, things that you hear in commercials that you hear at stadiums. Um, but, for example, they might know, they might be watch basketball, they might know Onyx Slam just from soda commercials and basketball highlights, but they don't know anything about the group. So if somebody came to me, they weren't familiar with hip-hop, they're like, you know what, I want to get into it, but there's so much out there, I don't know where to jump in. Um, where should I begin? So the question that I put out there is, if you only had one album to recommend to someone who was unfamiliar with hip-hop that you think best represents either a group, a sound, a period of time, uh, the culture in general, which album would that be and why? So, uh, the three of us each picked an album, and we're going to talk about those and see why we each picked what we picked, and then we're also going to play two cuts from uh, that album. So, I was looking at the years that these three albums we picked came out, and two of them came out in 1999, and the other came out 10 years earlier in 1989. So, I think we will start in 1989 with Dre. So, what did you pick, and why'd you pick it? So, I picked Three Feet High and Rising. De La Soul and I picked it because I think it's wildly inventive um, they talk about they. I think they run through nearly the entire gamut of hip hop topics they talk about trouble in the world they talk about uh, the opposite sex they talk about some dumb shit they talk and then they have the skits which is just hilarious so it can be funny it can it's a dance record there's a couple dance records some very inventive uh, samples on there um they talk about us as in black people and um things that we need to do and so i it's an overall very like lyrically they're on point the music is on point it's well mixed it's well mastered which is always a key i found that out later on in life and um yeah I, I just i just think and my my initial first thought was um it takes a nation of millions to hold us back but i was mm. like that album might be too just too black and there's no like party cuts on that on that album people <laughs> party to some of that some of those records on it takes a nation of millions to hold us back but there's some party records on three feet high and rising there's um it's just, it's just the really good album. So I, that's, that was my pick. And you guys picked really good albums. Um, and I couldn't pick yours. So you want to go into, you want to tell you, going to go into the tracks that I like? Well, hang yeah. on. I have a question because, <clears throat> mm -hmm. so like with Three Feet High and Rising, um, of the Daylight albums, do you think that was them at their lyrical best? I know. I actually don't know. I don't think that was them at their lyrical best. They got much better later on. They were. They got much better later on. It. I think at the time when that album came out, um, I, there was a whole big thing. Even in um, plug tuning, people not understanding what they were talking about. 
and people were like, what are they saying? And then years later, it's, it's almost, I won't say as clear as day, but years later, you're like, oh, yeah, I understand what they're saying. I, I know what they're, you know, I know what they're, you know, how they were kind of riffing. I think later on, lyrically, they got better. Um, mm-hmm. It's I don't, it's probably my favorite De La album, but that's because of nostalgia. I initially was thinking about picking um, De La Soul Was Dead. Uh, it's a great album as far as topics. Uh, Stakes is High is an incredible album as far as just like musically. I think they everybody was running, you know, top nine, ten, and whatever they did production, lyrics, um, even some of those. Uh, what was that? What was those albums? The, the Balloon uh, Mind State, the, the Grind well, Date, Balloon Mind State, yes, but like the, the, Oh man, what was it called? They had this, they had this astronaut suits on. Oh, their lyrics were crazy. It was like artificial uh, intelligence. Artificial intelligence. Lyrically, they were crazy on those albums. Okay. Um. So yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily think it was their best lyricism. Okay. But it was, I mean, it was great. But especially at the time, they were doing stuff that people weren't really doing. Okay. Yeah. Now, if you're, if somebody's coming into it, um sort of uh not not knowing much about hip-hop do you think that it is too abstract because some of it is like because i went back to and listened to it uh to get ready for this i hadn't listened to the whole thing in a while and so it's out there it's 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 kind of some of the skits are like weird but some of the songs, it's like, it, it's kind of out there. Do you think it's, um, like, do you think it's like a 400 level course or do you think it's entry level? Oh, I, no, I don't think it's, that's the thing, is that it's one of those things where I want you to expect more, but I'm not going to dumb you down. Ooh, so it okay. might not be entry level. Yeah. It, lyrically, it's not entry level. No. But groove, it, the fact that you can groove to it, you can dance to it, you can party to it, you can feel it as music, you, you it's, you know, I think that's entry level. Like, you're yeah. not going to put in a song and not feel like, oh, I can groove to this, I can dance to this, I can grab somebody with... Now, some of the stuff that, you know, the double entendres, the triple entendres on that record, and you, you know, you might have to dig a little deeper. You might have to ex- get some explanation from it. But that's also, you know, like, that's why we have... You know, the, the ABs of the world, the, the people's <laughs> prof is in the building. You know, you, yeah. you go to him, you know, you have a professor. He's like, I know you're a professor. You, you into this hip hop stuff. Can you explain what he meant by this? I, I think very deeply. I think that's, I think that's important for hip hop as well. Like, I don't want to, I don't want you to come in because if I'm just going to give you, if I'm just going to spoon feed you, then I'll give you the simplest, you know, raps ever created. Yeah, but I don't, I don't want that. I want I want you if you if I introduce you introducing you from introducing you to something as complex as hip hop. I want you to have a good nugget of complexity. Okay, and AB, what was your uh, when did you first come across uh, three feet high and when I first heard three feet high and rising? Oh, it was immediate, man. Um, and. Big jumps that hip hop and hip hop lyricism took in just a few years, right? Um, we go from Run DMC and Raising Hell and all of that in '84 to Rock Him and Kane in '86, and then 
you know, Public Enemy, EPMD, De La Soul representing for Long Island. And rhyme styles were changing, content was changing. And, you know, De La came out and they had that crazy sample of uh, the Parliament Funkadelic. Right. But that was just the tip of the iceberg for that album. You could argue that me, myself, and I was not the best track on that album. Like, they really put in work. And the thing that was always revolutionary to me about De La, they crafted a really unique hip-hop album with Three Feet High and Rising. Really an all-time great. But because of the popular reception and the fact that people were getting the messages crossed and started casting them as sort of like black 60s hippies, they completely destroyed that style mm. and were reborn on De La's Dead. Yeah. And you that's hard to pull off in music. Like you make an initial impression that can be pretty um pretty indelible, right? That it can be lasting. You can't shake it. It's how people will always see you. They completely and totally did a 180, divorced themselves from that and became better. Like you look at the run they went on from Daylight's Dead to Balloon Mind State to Stakes is High. Like that five-year run, man, they put out superior product after superior product after superior product, continued to evolve as MCs, but the vibe that they created in Three Feet High and Rising is still present through that work. Um, they just took control of their image and how they wanted to be portrayed in the public. So, you know, away went the crazy suits and the wild haircuts, and they just went straight hip hop. Like, yo, we're going to remind y'all that we're some of the best to ever do this. And we could stand up against anybody in this. And they were even, you know, spitting at Tupac, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, clowning Tupac about, you know, the the misogyny in his videos and taking yeah. on hip hop when hip hop made a hard turn toward, um, you know, an even harder turn toward misogyny and violence. You know, uh, Stakes is high. It's like, yo, Cubans don't care what y'all brothers do. Colombians ain't never ran with your crew. While you acting all spicy and shiesty, the only Italians you knew was Icy's. <laughs> right. You know, so Daylight stood as the the sort of, um, I won't say the moral compass of hip hop because, you know, they engage in some debauchery, but they would check you when yeah. you needed to be checked. Yeah. Well, on that note, let's see. Uh, Dre pulled out, he picked out two songs, and neither of these were my two favorite songs on the album, but they're classic songs. So, uh, let's go. You want to go plug tuning or you want to go potholes in my lawn? Let's go potholes in my lawn. Boop, boop, doo -doo, doo -doo. <laughs> All right, here we go. Potholes in my lawn. Dayla. Dicka, dicka, Dayla. Yo, something's wrong here. No, not again. Get the daisies for the potholes in my lawn. Everybody's saying, 
what to do when sucker lunatics start digging and chewing. They don't know that the soul don't go for that potholes in my lawn. And that goes for my rhyme sheet, which I concentrated so hard on. See, I don't ask for maximum security, but my dwelling is swelling. It lit my butt when I happened to fall into a spot where no ink or an ink block was on the scroll. I just wrote me a new mode, but now it's gone. Cause those suckers knew that I hate to recognize that every time I'm writing it's gone. To leave my garden untended cause eyes Has now pardoned on laws of privacy Even paws are after my writer's seat I perceive that everyone's saying What to do when suckers are praying Upon my well-guarded spreadsheets Oh why hell does it send up fleets Of evil doers through the big hole They get to evil doers who dig hole Which leaves my lawn with lawn chew I think I better plant traces to give clues Or better yet call 911 And when they get here I inform them I'm the plug one Of the plug chair and let them realize the reason For concern of the soul Cause we've come down with a case of potholes To claim that you stole my words of fame that I wrote in my rhyme sheet, which I concentrated so hard on. See, I don't ask for a barbed wire fence, B. My dwelling is swelling, it lit my butt when I happened to fall into a spot where no ink or an ink block was on a scroll. I just wrote me a new mode, but now it's gone. Cause those suckers do that, I hate to recognize that every time I'm writing, it's gone. in my lawn. Strictly Dan Stuckey. Uh, De La. I like that. 